If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome everyone to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin. And I am Queen Barry, the first of his name. And this week, uh, Queen Barry, the first of his name, and I are continuing our discussion on the history of Dragon Quest. I uh, took a brief break from it to discuss all the DQ Day stuff the last couple of weeks. And then uh, now we're uh, talking about uh, Dragon Quest VIII. It's where we finally got to the release of Dragon Quest VIII, which was kind of the biggest release in the West uh, at the time for Dragon Quest when it did come out. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we do have a new Patreon patron who deserves a real nice thank you. Shabba, thank you, Shabba, you are great. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you, Shelby. We really appreciate it. Um, Please don't pull your pledge because of that. Oh, <laughs> please don't. Yeah. Um, that sounded like Meatwad from... Uh, yeah, this is Meatwad. You want to talk to Meatwad? Yeah, from Aqua Oh, Team. Fry Yeah, that's yeah. what it sounds like. I love it. I love, I love Meatwad. Yeah. I haven't watched that show in many a moons. It is, I, I I started I, I got Jennifer to watch the episode uh it's on HBO uh Max and so we started uh something came up about uh DJ Chris uh MC Chris and I got her to watch the episode about MC P pants where it was like I need candy and uh it's uh ridiculous and wonderful and I still love it and yeah. I don't think she does. Yeah, I I haven't seen it in so long. It'd be hard for me to say. I was never super into Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Like even when I was like, you know, really into Adult Swim, like as a teenager and stuff, um, especially was when I was like most into it. Like Aqua Teen wasn't my like favorite uh, Adult Swim show or anything like that. But it was one of those that, you know, I watched and, you know, would laugh at uh, on occasion. It was my favorite of the Adult Swim shows because it hit that perfect level of, of absurdity for me. Yeah. I absolutely adore that kind of just what in the world is this and how would you even think about this, this kind of fever dream show. Yeah. And uh, that's why I love it so much is because I still don't understand how anyone pitched this and got it made. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, so anyway, uh, Dragon Quest, that's what we're here yes. for. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this has suddenly turned into an Aqua Teen, Aqua Teen Hunger Force FM uh, in case you guys weren't weren't aware yeah it did um but anyway so for dragon quest 8 uh this is where we get to talk about uh, akahiro hino and level 5 coming in because right um the, and I, i'm a huge level 5 fan i'm not a huge level 5 fan of the last like three years <laughs> yeah um, they've made some some bad decisions poor very poor uh creative poor decisions and i think that's the business, better way to put it. Yeah. yeah business decisions and creative decisions yes um, since like 2017, 2018. Um, Ish, yeah. But anyway, way back then, uh, the world was their oyster. 
and uh, Akihiro Hino was kind of like this uh, wonderkind, I guess, uh, would be the yeah. correct term for him, where uh, he was kind of like uh, going to be, he was like the next big thing, you know, he was going to like change the world of RPGs and he was highly sought after um, by companies and things like that. Uh, Yuji Hori uh, persuaded him to work on uh, Dragon Quest Eight at this point. Right. And this is where you started seeing uh, the cell shaded graphics come in, which I think worked really well because uh, you got to really, they really like, uh, I guess this is going to sound cheesy, but they brought to life like Toriyama's artwork. And so yeah. it was like the artwork that you were drawn to that Toriyama did. Uh, now that you could play a video game that was that. You know? <laughs> of that, where it looked like you were playing this cartoon. Yeah, it looked like you were rather playing... Rather than playing an ad- adaptation of it. Yeah, like you're playing through a Toriyama drawing, essentially. And that's the reason I started playing it, is I saw eight, uh, my friend Bobby playing it, the 3DS version on Twitter, saw him post a picture of the Saber Cat, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's so beautiful. And I was like, I want to play that game. And I thought... It doesn't have 3D on the 3DS, unfortunately. Like, I was so excited to play in a 3D, uh, like, world with depth that looked like that, uh, which is exactly why I played it in the first place. Yeah. And why it was like the first Dragon Quest game I really uh, dug into uh, more than others and finished as well. Yeah. So it definitely worked. I mean, it, you know, uh, it was a big success over here in the West for the Dragon Quest series. Um, it it sold pretty well for a Dragon Quest game in the West, especially. Um, and so, and people seem to really like that. And it's kind of one of those things that has just naturally, it was going this way anyway, but it's kind of been one of those things that has persevered through other mm-hmm. entries, you know, 9, 10, 11, uh, this kind of uh, cell shaded and just very cartoony kind of look uh, to everything. Uh, and I mean, I think all of that's for the better. There was a little bit of collateral damage, I feel like, with this because <laughs> Level Five and, and Akihiro Hino was working. They're working on this game called True Fantasy Live Online. It was going to be this big MMO RPG for Xbox. Okay, and I don't actually know if I'm okay. You know my memory, yeah. And so if I have, if you and I have discussed this in the past, I am completely blank right now. Okay, so. You or anybody who's listening, just like Google this game, okay? Uh, True Fantasy Live Online is the name of the game. It it very much looks like a um, it very much looks like a level five game. Like when you look at it and you see everything, oh, wow. it looks like yeah. a level five game. It looks like it was going to be this amazing game. And also, I mean, MMO RPG for Xbox. It seems like that would have been um, a pretty big win for. Xbox. Yeah, I mean, Fantasy <laughs> Star Online uh, was great. Like, it was a huge success for that same thing. Yeah, and so... Uh, it was for Saturn originally, wasn't it? I can't remember. I think maybe that's right. But I think it came out for Xbox later. So, anyway, so there was a little, like, uh, you know, this game got scrapped because of that. And they moved on to other things. They they started working on Dragon Quest Eight. They got out Dragon Quest Eight, and then from there, they did Rogue Galaxy. Which, if no one has yeah. played Rogue Galaxy, uh, A, listen to my JRPGs and Me episode on Rogue Galaxy. Uh, B, you can also listen to an Austin Austin's Daily Quarantine Cast minisode of Rogue Galaxy, if you're one of our patrons. And C, uh, go play Rogue Galaxy, because <laughs> it's really fun. It's, uh, the final boss And is, it's generally cheap. 
Oh, sorry. 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 Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say the final bosses are like awful. It still has one of the worst like final boss uh, chains of any game I've ever played. But but most of the game leading up to that is really, really great. It's a PS2 game. So, I mean, don't start playing it, you know, expecting uh, modern, uh, you know, quality of life things that exist. I mean, it's definitely a PS2 game, but it's really good. And uh, like BJ mentioned, it is really cheap. Like you can buy it for like $3 on PSN pretty often. Yeah, I think I paid either $3.99 or $4.99 for it when it was on sale. And I need to go back and play this because you you love this game and you've told me a lot about it. And it sounds like exactly the kind of game that I would adore. The reason that I haven't played it is because it's a PS2 game. I got a little bit into it and got really frustrated by the camera system because I hadn't been playing like retro games at that time. And so changing the camera with L1 and R1 were uh, was kind of frustrating for me to get used to. And that's the only reason I stopped playing it because it was great otherwise. And I need to go back and just kind of, you know, get used to that. But at the time, whenever I started, I was like, I don't want to do this and I turned it off. But the game sounds amazing to me. I need to get further than like an hour into it. Yeah, it, it's really good. It's uh, I guess in terms of level five games, I would probably rank it after uh, Nino Kuni 2, Nino Kuni 1 and uh, Fantasy Life on uh the mm. 3ds i would probably yep. rank it after those but then probably i don't know because then you have the dark cloud games too i don't mm-hmm. know it'd be hard rogue galaxy would probably be in my top five uh level five games but it, it would be hard there for a while uh like level five had a really good run for like 10 15 years of just really solid rpgs and and even non-rpgs like the professor layton games i mean they had some yeah really good a really good run of games there for a while uh and also i think i feel kind of feel like fantasy life was a little bit of a consolation prize for uh the yeah for the mmorpg uh going away yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about that. I'm like, I wonder if they took a lot of stuff and put it into Fantasy Life. Yeah, they don't look a lot alike, but the gameplay teases that were shown uh, for the other look don't necessarily feel like Fantasy Life. But I, I have wondered that if it was just kind of like uh, they took some of the ideas that they thought were still worth holding on to and put them mm-hmm. into Fantasy Life. And then you have Fantasy Life, the new one, the mobile game. that's kind of like a sequel to Fantasy Life. Uh, I think it's just called Fantasy Life Online, maybe. Uh, that came out earlier huh. in this uh, earlier in the year. Um, yeah. It's a mobile game, wah, wah. but anyway. Uh, so so we do have. No, wait, 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 wait. Uh-huh. Tell me how you feel about mobile games. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Just curious. All right, I'm good now. Um, uh, but back back then, level five, Akihiro. You know, they were kind of like the young guns. They were, you know, they had all their uh, like creative juices flowing. It's kind of like how you know a lot of bands like put out their best work early on i feel like level five was like that whereas like you know a lot of bands it's like their first album is pretty good um but then usually sometime after like album three maybe album four is when they start to lose it even like bands that have been around for a long time um and it's like the the reason people love those bands or get into bands are typically because of like their first three albums Uh, i feel like that way about level five it's like people kind of played some of their earlier games uh, and and really liked them, and they they maintained a little bit of good stuff. And then now that they're on their like fifteenth album, uh, which is a mobile exclusive, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like okay, guys, like you had you had a good run here with um, you know Yokai Watch, 
um, was really solid. I've still, they had announced four for the West and I have never heard anything else from that. And after uh, level five America went under, I'm not super hopeful that four is ever going to come over here, but, um, but you know, they did some, they did some good stuff. I think, I think Yokai watch four was probably the last good, good game they made. Um, I have the Japanese version on switch that I've played. Um, because I gave up hope that they were ever going to release four in English. So I was like, you know oh, what? Wow. I'm just I didn't actually think you had gotten to four. Yeah. I didn't know you played it in Japanese. I haven't beaten I it. I knew you'd gone through three. I have not beaten it, but I've played, uh, I've played, played it. Yeah. Awesome. I'm pretty far into it. It was just, it was one of those games that not knowing Japanese, it was starting to get kind of hard to do because of like, I was definitely, the story seems like it, it's going to be really, really good. And I just, there was... I could not get the story conveyed to me in a way that was like satisfying. Mm. Like I really wanted to, so I'm holding out hope that there's an English port for four. Cause yeah. I really want to like really, really get into this game and playing it in Japanese. It was kind of like, I was just playing it to see it. Um, right. I mean, it was, I was enjoying it, but it was just like, I couldn't enjoy it the way that I could if I was playing it in English because of how much, how interesting the story is, you know, it's going like back in time and all these other things. So it's, it's cool. Oh, Plus, sure. the Japanese version came with a cool little like uh, medallion, yokai medallion. And you, um, I'm, and I'm this way too. You are a sucker for cool pack-ins. I am. Yeah i uh, i I ordered recently ordered the Scarlet Violet double pack from France, uh, Amazon France, because it yep. came with a steel book. And I'm tired of the U.S. never getting steel books for anything Nintendo. It like makes I don't me so understand. Mad. Like, and I've never, okay, so this is a tangent, but I've never read any reasoning behind it. Like, why do they do it in Europe and, and the UK and everything? Like, and even sometimes in Asia and Japan, why does the North American releases, why do they never get steelbooks? Like, I, I can't find anything about why they don't. I, I think there's probably two reasons. Um, this is purely my own speculation, but I think number one, uh, Nintendo is just like, oh, Americans will pay for it anyway. That's uh, fair. So why bother? And number two, uh, the world hates America. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, no still books for you. Um, <laughs> you choked me. <laughs> but oh, thank you for that. But I mean, you know, at, at some point I'm like, okay, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm making these games from another country for other countries, and I'm looking at America. It's like, well, if Americans don't want the steelbook, why bother? If yeah. They're just going to buy it anyway. So it's like, I don't know. But I'm just like, and I know I'm being somewhat facetious here, but like, I, I really don't know the real reason. But it's just like the UK, Europe uh, gets so many great uh, steelbooks for Switch games. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm so tired of missing out on them. And because it's Amazon France, they ship to the US. And so it's just like uh, I had to pay like ten ninety nine, I think, USD for shipping. Um, oh, and that's not bad. And obviously it won't get here on launch day. It's like five to nine days, I think, that I have to wait for of it. So I'll have to, I won't be able to play Scarlet Violet right away, which kind of sucks. But it's like, um, you know what? I like Steelbooks. I like getting bonuses. And I, you know, I was going to get the, the two pack for Scarlet Violet anyway. So it was just kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to shell out this extra money for shipping and... Uh, get the steelbook one that I want. So if they that, bring back... totally makes sense, yeah. Yeah, if they bring back like locking stuff by region, I'm going to be really sad because I have really started to take advantage of getting stuff from like Amazon Japan 
in Amazon France now because of I want stuff that I can't get in America. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. I'll order uh, Asian versions of things that don't get physical releases here a lot of times. The DQ 1 to 3 from Play Asia, I got. I've got Final Fantasy 7 and 8 on a single Switch cart. Uh, I know I've got more over there that I can look at and see, but I, I love stuff like that because America simply doesn't get it. So I'll pay the upcharge to get it sent over. Yeah. So uh, going back over into into Dragon Quest Eight. So uh, level five Akihiro Hino, they kind of helped uh, really get Dragon Quest Eight off the ground. So much so that whenever it succeeded in everything, uh, Yuji Horii Armor Project, they were like, "Hey, help us with Dragon Quest Nine. Um, and Dragon mm-hmm. Quest Nine is kind of where uh, you started to see some changes. Uh, bigger changes with the series like this was the first Mm -hmm. every dragon quest game mixes it up a little bit but dragon quest 9 felt like the biggest like shake up that the series had seen maybe ever and i know you could argue that like well moving it into like cell shaded 3d would be the biggest (laughs) like shake up ever but it's like in terms of gameplay and just like so many other things like 9 was really when the series got like its biggest shape shake up i think yeah i think so too that that eight was more more along the same traditional lines that people had gotten used to uh, outside. Like that was one of the things that almost put me off of it. I've talked about before is like, I just didn't get it. I think that's honestly why I don't like eight as much is because yeah, it looks really good. And on three DS, I mean, it looks really good, but it's like, it doesn't do, it doesn't change enough. Like I feel like every other dragon quest game changes more stuff than DQ eight does. And DQ eight didn't really do anything new other than, looking really pretty like it doesn't feel super different from a lot of the other game dragon quest games that preceded it it's right. just but it looks really nice it does it's really pretty like i like it for that like it's not one of my top dragon quest games but it being pretty and it's solid like that's the thing it got me into the dragon quest games because it's completely solid all the way through like it's not exceptional in doing new things but it's also i never got really bogged down like i do in seven or any of the uh some of the longer ones like that yeah that's um yeah it's not i think that's a good way of putting it it's not a bad dragon quest game but i don't i agree with you i don't think it's an overly exceptional dragon quest game Um, and i know we're going to get a little bit of hate for that because there are a lot of people who do feel it's an exceptional game but i'm just coming from a looking at everything in terms of systems to story to to characters like they're all really good they're just there's nothing on there where i'm just like that is my favorite of anything in the series other than that pretty saber cat model in 3d (laughs) Yeah, and well, and I think nostalgia plays a big part of that because a lot of people True. where eight is their favorite, it's because that's the one they played first. It's kind of like you know Final Fantasy seven. Uh, a lot of people will say seven and ten uh, to a certain degree are their favorites because that's where a lot of people seem to have started. They started with seven mm. or they started with ten on the PS two. You know, kind of depending on their age. Um, this is when <laughs> yeah. this is when a lot of Westerners got into Final Fantasy or got into Dragon Quest, and so I feel like. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, myself included, like I'm not saying this is something that affects everyone else but me, but you know, nostalgia is kind of like putting blinders on. And Yeah, I mean, it is. And so, you know, and I think the same thing is going to happen, you know, 10, 20 years from now with 11. I think there's going to be a whole slew of people who 
11 is like the gold standard for Dragon Quest games, and maybe that's going to be me too. But <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, it will be because it already is your gold standard for Dragon Quest because, games. Because, but it's because of nostalgia and because of so many people getting into Dragon Quest because of 11. I think that's right. going to skew 11 in that way too. And like, you know, and I think you're starting to already see it, but, uh, but especially like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when there's 12 out you know, hopefully 13, 14 out at that point uh, where there's going to be some other Dragon Quest games out are maybe better Dragon Quest games, but you're still going to have so many people who are like, no, 11 is the best one because they've kind of got those nostalgia blinders on. And so I think, I think that's a big part of eight. And I think just like, I think that that's a big part with like Final Fantasy seven and Final Fantasy 10. It's like people kind of put up the blinders and it's kind of like when you break up with someone and you like only (laughs) remember the good parts and you're like, oh, I missed them. And, you know, there's like a month after a breakup where you just like miss this person terribly because you only remember the good things. I think it's like that, but yeah. video games. Yeah, it's like that's what happens. Like nostalgia with the exes is like if you've ever gotten a if you've ever gotten back with an ex afterward and you're like, oh, yeah, that's why we broke up. It's like yeah. I, I, I forgot about this um, when you go back and play it. That's why I, uh, I play it like going to the video game when just non set non non segue there. It's like going back to games that I feel purely nostalgia for. Um, I've stopped doing that in a lot of cases because I feel like it's ruined, uh, not ruined the memories or anything, but it's been like, oh, maybe that wasn't as great of a game as I remember it being. And I'd rather keep the rose colored goggles on for certain ones. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I felt with, uh, Final Fantasy VIII, you know, like I, mm. like if you had asked me like four or five years ago, like where I ranked Final Fantasy VIII, I would put it very close to my top because my memories of it, playing it, you know, new PS1, I was like, oh man, this game is awesome. I love, yeah. you know, I love how uh, improved the graphics were from seven and I liked the characters. I thought the Gunblade mm-hmm. was super cool. I thought Squall was just awesome. And then the, you know, I was like begging for a remaster. I was one of those people just begging for it. And then when it came out, got day one, played it and beat it just over a few days because I mean, I went hard at that game because I was like, ah, I finally got it. I can't wait. And then as I was playing it, um, you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh man, Squall's so cool. He's so tough. As like someone in their thirties, I'm like, oh my God, this dude is so whiny. Grow up. (laughs) And then like, and I felt that way about a lot of the characters. And also I was just like, man, this game is definitely about like whiny high schoolers. And, you know, there were still moments I really like, but now I think, but that did replaying it kind of did knock eight down a couple of notches. I mean, I would still rank it middle, middle to high for my favorite Final Fantasy games. I mean, I still like eight, but the nostalgia I felt for that game was kind of ruined because I replayed it. So I get it. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, sometimes the opposite can be true. You know, sometimes I'll play a game that I thought I hated and really like it or a movie. Like a while back, we were talking about Spider-Man three, the Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man three. Yes. Like I hated that movie. And then I rewatched it, you know, after like 10 years, uh, just in the last like six months. And I was like, you know what? This really isn't that bad. It's not great. It's still the, the weakest one of those three. But, like, it's not as bad as I remember it being. Like, I remember it being unwatchable. Yeah. After sitting in the theater and watching it. But, like, you know, all this time later, I watched it again. I was like, I'm really glad I did this because, you know what? It's enjoyable. And I I like these characters and actors enough that I, you yep. know, I like everything that's happening here. Even if, even if there's some things in this movie that I don't like. You know, I'm the same way. When I went back to it, I'm like, this movie is definitely not good. 
but it's not bad. Yeah. Like it's put together. It's a it's a hot mess. But at the same time, it's the kind of Sam Raimi hot mess that you can really appreciate. And so when we start, I, like, I told Jennifer this and we started doing the rewatches of those before we went into seeing uh, the new Spider-Man movie, the MCU, what was it? No Way Home. Mm-hmm. And we uh, she couldn't get through it. Like we still haven't finished it. She didn't even get to uh, Peter Parker dancing on the tables in the jazz club, like <laughs> thrusting down the street. Yeah, and it's uh, it's stuff like that that like I despised when I was younger and taking it so seriously. But going back to it, it's like looking at it in context of everything in the media, like just this whole uh, kind of meta view of it. It's like it's not really that bad. It's kind of fun to watch. It's uh, I would watch it again. I still need to finish that up because it's like I want to see. Peter in the black suit. I want to see my Spider-Man in the black suit again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I think, uh, you know, nostalgia can kind of go either way. Um, Dragon Quest eight, you know, I think it does. I think it still holds up pretty well. Like I know I, I don't yeah. want people to think we're bashing on it. I mean, I think it still holds up really well um, for a PS2 game. And, you know, the, the new stuff they put in the 3ds version with like the, golden slimes and photo mode and stuff like that were some of my favorite oh, parts. Oh, I love those golden slimes, man. It, yeah. The photo new mode and golden slimes. I did not think I was going to like that, but I'm like, ooh, where can I find more golden slimes to take their picture? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's fun. I don't know why, but I loved it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love that kind of thing in games anyway, so the, the changes that they made for, for Dragon Quest Eight on 3DS, like, I really appreciate. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Akihiro Hino and Level 5, I think they learned a lot with Dragon Quest Eight. And, you know, uh, Rogue Galaxy was like their first uh, game they made as like their own, you know, big, like this is a level five game. They had made, they made like Dark Cloud and Dark Chronicle, which was Dark Cloud 2 over here in the States for like Sony. uh, That Sony, Mm -hmm. you know, put out and published for them and everything. And then they did this one, which was technically, you know, Armor Project Square Enix. But then Rogue Galaxy was like an official like level five game. And you can really tell because in a lot of ways the gameplay the the look of rogue galaxy is just it feels like dragon quest 8 but in space yes there's things that i kind of think of as like level 5 trademarks uh with like you know crafting and gathering and the way the upgrade systems work and all right. that you found like in dark cloud and then uh you definitely see in like nino kuni and nino kuni 2 and things like that so uh you know it's still very much a level 5 game with those kind of aspects but like you can tell that they learned a whole whole lot from from working on Dragon Quest Eight, and I presume <laughs> that from working <laughs> that they learned from Yuji Horii and, and working with him and everything. Um, so it kind of was like a it really benefited, I think, both companies is really the point I'm getting here. Like Level Five and Dragon Quest as a series both really benefited from this partnership, and I think it was a really good call, uh, you know, for Yuji Horii to bring Akira Hino in. And doing this kind of thing uh, for for Dragon Quest Nine, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, that kind of relationship is gonna just get completely uh, wrecked. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're gonna be talking about that in, in a future episode. But just in terms of Dragon Quest Eight, you know, I think that I think it still holds up really well, and I think that it it would be interesting to see what the history of DQ, especially DQ in the West, would have looked like if Level Five had not been a part of it. Like, I don't think some of the systems mm. that are in eight and like the cell shaded graphics and things like that. Like, I don't know if, if that would have that kind of stuff would have happened if level five had not been involved. 
Yeah. And I mean, we have to think too, like with that, that cell shading was getting bigger on the PS2. That generation was really starting to see more cell shading to have it uh, appear. There were graphics that were going for fidelity where you have like Final Fantasy 12 and uh, Final Fantasy 10. And then you have games that were going for basically this cell shaded cartoony look. And this is the generation that it really got popular. And so DQ8 was one that really pushed it. Uh, but you will find a whole lot of others that do it on there as well that are really I don't want to say that they're me too kind of uh, uh, copies, but that is definitely something that that was going on during that period of, uh, of video game production. And we should also mention about DQ eight success in the West. They didn't know how it would do like on its own. And so they packaged a demo of final fantasy 12 with it. And that bumped a lot of sales because I know so many people who bought it just for the Final Fantasy XII demo and then ended up liking the game itself. Yeah, they also they also did a, a release for uh, the official PlayStation Magazine in the U.S. Uh, Dragon okay. Quest Eight got a demo. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, 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 got a demo. Or um, I can't remember the name of the game that was on it. It was like Rogue Thieves or something like that. It's like one of those PS2 games you probably forgot ever existed. Um, yeah. I've been trying here lately because uh, I, I I got you know the the official like U.S. PlayStation magazine for like years and years uh-huh. uh, when I was yep. like you know high school and um, and everything and then maybe partially oh, yeah. into college um, I can't remember exactly what year they they quit doing it but anyway I had all these demos saved up uh, had all the magazines still stored away and then whenever I moved out. Of my parents' house, I got rid of a lot of that stuff because mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, the place we're moving into didn't have a ton of room. And I was like, ah, I don't really look at these video game magazines. These are just demos. And I threw it all away and greatly regret it. Um, yep. So now I've been kind of uh, toying around with the idea of trying to like collect all of those old discs because yeah. a lot of them are fairly inexpensive. Like a lot of them are like five to seven dollars, you know, for like these mm-hmm. demo discs. And I still have a working PS2. And I'm just like, you know what, I like some of the artwork that's on the discs are kind of unique. And I'm just like, you know, I kind of want to kind of want to get some of these. So this weekend, actually, I was even looking at some of those. Um, But yeah, the uh, packaging with the FF12 demo was definitely a big thing. I mean, I I did not buy Dragon Quest VIII because of it, uh, because this was during a period where I wasn't playing too many video games. I mean, I bought FF12 like day one. Uh, because I was, you know, I still love Final Fantasy enough that whenever FF12 came out, I was like, oh, I'm buying this right now. Yep. Um, but, you know, generally, I think that was probably the only video game I played or bought that year. Maybe Guitar Hero, I feel like, came out around the same time. So maybe I played that because I definitely had and played Guitar Hero. But, you know, a lot of games I wasn't playing back then. And so, yeah, I think that was a big part of it. I also think, you know, this was the first game that uh, the UK got. Uh, for the longest time, the UK only had, uh, didn't oh, have, yeah. dra- they had to import them if, if people in the UK wanted to play it. And the uh, the PAL version of Dragon Quest VIII doesn't even have the subtitle on there. The number is not on there. My bad. Um, oh. So it's just like Dragon Quest Journey of the Cursed King. Um, huh. I think that's right. I need to, I have it. It's, it's on my bookshelf and we're not recording in my office uh, right now. So, I so can't, you can't just look up so and can't see. Go check it. Yeah. Uh, I was going to look it up really quickly because now I've kind of confused myself. 
Um, yeah, it's the eight is missing. So it's just Dragon Quest Journey of the Cursed King. And the eight is completely gone because they didn't want to confuse people because a lot of people in the UK hadn't played a Dragon Quest game before or even heard of it. So you can understand probably everyone's confusion if you're going to buy a PS2 game and there's Dragon Quest eight and you're like, what? Where are the other seven? You know? Yeah. And to a certain extent, I remember when Dragon Quest eight came out and for a certain, to a certain extent, I was that way too. Like I remember watching my neighbor Wade play Dragon Quest eight. And in my head, I was like, where are all the other Dragon Quest games? Like I, Hmm. like I hadn't heard of this. Um, And part of my confusion was probably the fact that, you know, the other entries were called Dragon Warrior um, here in in the States. So uh, Dragon Quest eight was a first in a lot of ways, you know, it was, the first Dragon Quest game released in North America as Dragon Quest instead of Dragon Warrior. It was the first game released in the UK, mainline Dragon Quest game released over there. Um, They just dropped the eight part from it. And so it was really part of this bigger push uh, to get Dragon Quest big in the West. And it kind of paid off because a lot of people did play it. It was the best-selling entry at its time uh, for a Western audience. And a lot of people... Uh, in the U.S. will say it's their favorite. A lot of people that I've interviewed from like France and uh, the U.K. and Germany and South America, uh, just all kinds of countries uh, will say 8 was the first game they played because of how big of a push Dragon Quest 8 was to like get big mm-hmm. outside of Japan. It, it kind of was a slow burn, but I think it's ultimately paid off. Yeah, I mean, I think it really, really, really has. Like we finally are getting you know simultaneous releases we're getting a lot more english translations of of spinoffs i think that eventually i think that a lot of it has to do with eight success years ago about bringing people into the series as well as nine being like the push that they did with uh with nine that so many kids latched onto it because of uh the 3ds and the ds well i guess ds being such a a huge huge uh part of uh like younger kid culture at that time as well as you know big kids like me i (laughs) I had one just sitting in college like playing my ds uh in the backstage when i wasn't on stage doing uh, theater productions yeah but i think a lot of that had to do with nine as well but eight and nine really helped yeah so uh so like i mentioned well we're gonna keep going with our history of dragon quest uh, in the future, going to return back to nine and all that. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we have some Patreon patron requested episodes uh, from new patron Shelby and uh, also uh, M. Navarro, who uh, requested an episode. So we're going to be focusing on that a bit. Also, we should be getting Dragon Quest Treasures news soon. Uh, so if there's yeah. so if there's enough stuff there, we may do a Dragon Quest Treasures uh, episode too, depending on what we find out that day. I don't know if it's going to be like a two minute thing we mention at the beginning of an episode, or something that like it's so much news and things to cover that we get to do an entire episode on. <laughs> yep, hope so. Yeah, so hope thank a lot of information. Yeah, so thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Remember, you can talk to us on Twitter at DragonQuestFM. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. Huge shout out to all our patrons. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we love y'all. And if you want to talk to me individually, I'm on Twitter at DragonQuestin. And I also have that blog, uh, which you can find at DragonQuestAustin.com. And you can find me on Twitter as at Professor Beach. Uh, my other podcast, the Geek to Geek podcast, retired last week after six years, uh, seven seasons. And so you can go listen to all of those back 290 uh, wow. back episodes and uh, 
weep like I did at the end of it. And you can also come to discord.geek2geekmedia.com and we'll all chat and have a good time together. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, all.